All right. Uh, can you hear me? All right. Hi. Okay. All right. Here we go. Okay. Um, <laughs> my name is Myra, and I'm a grateful believer of Jesus Christ, who is recovering from different forms of uh, forms of abuse, and currently struggling with anger and food issues. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm nervous. I was born to parents uh, who divorced when I was two years old. I don't remember the, the divorce, and I definitely do not remember them getting remarried to their new spouses. I grew up living with my mom, her husband, my older brother, my two younger half-siblings. Um, uh, my, my father was a typical weekend father. My brother and I visited my father every other weekend. He'd take us to Laker games, Dodger games, amusement parks, movies, and other great places. I enjoyed my visits, but most of all, I dreaded going back to my mother's house. Growing up, I was terrified of my mother. She loved my three siblings, but hated me. How did I know she hated me? She consistently told me and rarely showed love to me. At times, my mother would drag me across the room by pulling my hair, uh, hit me with the belt buckle, broom, wire hanger, or, or burn my fingers on the stove. The house was spotless because of me. If I didn't clean the house to my mother's satisfaction, I'd get hit. <clears throat> I was in third grade when my mother's husband began to touch me inappropriately. I remember feeling scared because it didn't feel right. I also began to stutter. One night, he came into my room and threatened me with a knife. If I screamed, he said he'd kill me. I didn't scream, but after he left, I cried a lot. I didn't understand what just happened. I just knew it hurt a lot. As I got older, things got a lot worse. I was in sixth grade when I begged my mom to let me play softball for the Park League. Surprisingly, she agreed. Playing softball was my escape from home. It didn't involve a lot of talking, and I played well, but I still had to go home every night. My mother was hitting me a lot more, my stuttering became worse, and I started speech therapy. I remember the night after my first Holy Communion. My mom's husband came into my room and threatened me with a gun and used the gun in a way that should not have been used. That was the night I began to hit and scratch myself. I didn't want to focus on what had just happened or how I hurt physically. I wanted to focus on a different kind of pain, the pain I caused myself. I was terrified to speak or read in public because of my stuttering. At school, I was consistently called Porky Pig and laughed at. <clears throat> my mother called me retarded, stupid, and said I looked ugly when I stuttered. She'd slap me if I stuttered in front of her. She slapped me until I'd get the sentence out or she would give up on me and tell me just to shut up. By my freshman year in high school, I hated my life. I was always scared. My mother was always hitting me and there were times she'd push me in, into the bathroom and have me wait and wait until she barged in. I then would jump and she would hit me. My mom's husband was now coming to my room almost every night or taking me to his little workroom in his garage that was covered with inappropriate pictures from magazines. He would have me pose like the pictures of the magazines and take my picture. My maternal grandmother once saw my mom's husband doing things to me. Instead of helping me, she called me a whore and hit me. I knew then nobody loved, nobody loved me at all. One day, 
I could no longer take my mother's beatings. She was hitting me with a broom. I caught the broom in my hand, pushed my mother, and told her she'd never hit me again. I regretted pushing her and saying what I said. My mother yelled for my brother and told him to hit me, and he did. I was now afraid and angry at everyone in my home and no longer wanted to live. I no longer prayed for my mama's husband to not come into my room because my prayers was never, were never answered. I instead prayed, in fact begged God, that my mom's husband would shoot and kill me or that I would not wake up in the morning. I knew God existed and loved everyone, but didn't think he loved me because my prayers were not answered. When my eyes opened in the mornings, I'd feel angry and scared, angry for waking up and afraid of making my mother angry. I'd come home from school and wait for my mother, grandmother, or brother to get angry with me, then go to bed and wait for my mom's husband to come into my room. Once I angered someone in my family and my mom's husband came in my room, I was able to rest because waiting sometimes was harder than the actual events. My last few, I'm thirsty. Thank you for the cup, Carolyn. <clears throat> my last few months in my mom's home house were the hardest, especially when and after my maternal grandmother died. My uncle had just died and my mother and my grandmother was devastated. A few weeks later, we were planning on visiting my uncle's grave and pick up my grandmother on the way. My grandmother chose to meet us there. When my mom and I arrived to my uncle's grave, my grandmother was dead next to his grave and the gun next to her. She chose, uh, she chose to end her life. I was thrown back into the car, but that vision stayed with me. My fear grew. I was completely afraid of people and I felt too much shame to make eye contact with anyone. I loved school and playing sports because I was not at home. Most students loved when the school year ended. I hated when the school year ended because that meant more time at home. My last day at home is a day I will never forget. My best friend and I decided to ditch softball practice. We were both on the varsity high school softball team and I figured we'd play at our next game. We were walking along the busy street when my softball coach caught us. I was terrified <laughs> and I didn't want to tell my mom. She wanted to meet with us the next day. We were, going to, we were actually going to in and out so yeah, we were caught so bad. My best friend and I experienced some of the same things and she said that she talked to my coach and things uh, got better at home. I believed if I told my coach about, this, about some of the things that were going on at home, I would get sympathy, and my mom would not be told about my ditching softball practice. I went ahead and told my coach about some of the things that were going on at home. She, in return, asked me personal questions. Then came the nurse with more questions. Then came the sheriffs with more questions. And finally, a social worker came and asked more questions. I was so scared because I knew my mother would be told. After all the questions, I was then sent to another room. A few minutes later, I could hear my mother's shoes as she walked up the hall. I was panicking inside. After a few minutes, she said she would take care of everything and return to work. I was sent back to class. I knew she was lying. I knew I would be in so much trouble as soon as she got home from work. I walked home after practice slowly. My mother's husband was the only one home. 
I went straight to the bathroom and locked myself in it. He knocked on the door and said, I know you told them. He then broke the bathroom door, pulled me out of the bathroom by my hair, tore everything off of me and hurt me. I was bleeding and everything hurt. A few hours later, my mother came home. She was angry. She hit me with the belt buckle. I wanted to die right at that moment. I went back to my room and cried and begged God, begged God to let me die. A few hours later, I could hear my mother ask her friend how I could lie about her husband. Then it hit me. Nobody believed me. A few hours later, my mother and her husband were drunk. I was called out to the living room and was yelled at. I saw the gun on the coffee table and began to panic inside. My mom's husband told me he'd kill me. <laughs> At that moment, all I could see was everything he had done to me in my bedroom, in his little room in the garage, and then I knew I no longer wanted to die. I picked up the gun and shot him in the leg. I dropped the gun and screamed. I remember the cops came and they took me to the hospital. Everyone at the hospital was trying to calm me down because I kept screaming. I didn't want to be touched. I was given something to calm down and the nurses did what they needed to do. My father, my biological father, was called to see if he could take me in. He said no, because there was not enough room in the house. He, um, he actually had a guest room. Um, I actually did not blame him at the time after what I had just, uh, after what I just did. Who would take me in? I, I was not charged with anything. My mom's husband got counseling. I eventually was placed in foster home. My foster family was a combination of Hungarian, Russian, German, and Polish. They ate food I've never heard of. I was used to beans, tortillas, and salsa. Seeing bread and butter on the table seemed, uh, seemed, seemed a little strange to me. It felt odd knowing no one would not be coming into my bedroom late at night, but I still couldn't sleep because that fear was still there. I was enrolled as a junior in high school, signed up for sports, and my stuttering minimized a great deal. I no longer needed speech therapy. I also went to mass with them every Saturday night, and that's where my love for church music began. Things were going well until I was accused of hitting one of my foster girls or foster sisters, which was not true. I was going to be placed in another foster home, and I didn't want to be placed in a new home. I talked to my social worker about getting emancipated, and I began the process. I talked to the judge, showed I found a part-time job, had a 3.8 grade average, and found a room for rent. When the, judge, when the judge granted my emancipation, I told myself I would never look back. I protected myself behind my walls. I worked and went to school at night and graduated college, but I was still very afraid of people. I didn't have a lot of friends because I didn't trust anyone. I started attending church in West Hills with my boss's wife. I found the love with the worship music. I kept go going back to church and was baptized June 4th, 1989. Um, <laughs> I was given my first Christian cassette. Yes. <laughs> A cassette. 
Steve Camp cassette. His song, his song, Love That Will Not Let Me Go, was a song that got me through my nightmares. I was content living the way I was. I was working with special needs children at the YMCA, had a few friends, and didn't talk to family members. But I missed my mother, or maybe I missed the idea of having a mother. January 17th, 1994, the day of the Northridge earthquake. I was renting a room in Woodland Hills. As soon as the shaking stopped, I called my mother. I was surprised I got through and more surprised that she answered. My mother asked why I was calling. I was taken aback by that question. I answered by saying that I'm calling to make sure she was all right. My mother then said, don't ever call here. I never wanna see or hear from you again. And she hung up. That was the last time I talked to my mother. I felt very hurt. If my own mother cannot love me, nobody else can love me. I saw myself as a horrible person and I carried a lot of shame and guilt. Then I, then I met someone who fell in love with me, who loved me enough to want to marry me. Uh, we met at a Super Bowl party. I complained about a person's motorcycle hogging up a parking spot because I had to park far. He heard me and quickly made sure I knew it was him who owned the motorcycle. We ended up dating. He was kind, compassionate, loving, and funny, and it took all those traits to knock down my walls. He was so patient with me, patient in every sense of the way. We were on the phone when he first told me he loved me. I called him crazy and hung up on him. I eventually told him I loved him too. When he asked me to marry him, I answered him no. I told him I was too damaged. He said I wasn't and was in love with me. I said yes, and I was very happy. Then his headaches came, and they kept getting worse. <clears throat> he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Oh, I loved him so much, and I stayed with him till the end. On July 2nd, 2001, the love of my life died. My heart was broken, and my walls went right back up. Walls were even thicker than before. A week after my fiance died, I moved from Woolen Hills to Santa Clarita. I was so broken and so scared, I wanted no one to knock down my walls. When I began attending Real Life Church, I sat in the back of the movie theater, praying nobody would notice me. But God had different plans for me. God began to put people in my life, but it had to be slowly. I had walls, I was afraid of people, and I didn't trust anyone. I also pushed people away. God knew who to put in my life and blessed me with a couple at church. The husband became my Christian father figure and his wife became, became a Christian mother to me. It wasn't easy. I tried to push them away, but yet they never gave up on me. They held me as I shared my nightmares and were there for me in the middle of the night. They showed me what love is and I am now a part of their family and I thank God for them. I slowly allowed others in and I was beginning to feel comfortable with a few people in my life. Little did I know God had this huge plan for me because I needed more healing. <sighs> On Sunday, Real Life Church had a guest speaker, guest speaker, Bill Reeser. I was not prepared to hear his story after hearing the first lines of his story, I blocked out the rest of it. After he was done sharing his story, I prayed for his flight home, and I thanked God that I would never see him again. <laughs> I'm sure God laughed at that prayer. 
A few months later, the lead pastor of Real Life Church announced that Bill Reeser was hired as one of the pastors. I was angry. My plan was to attend and volunteer at the different campus, campus, the New Hall campus, and I would never see Pastor Bill. That didn't work either. He would be the main pastor at the New Hall campus. I avoided that man like the plague. And it worked for a while, but then my persistent friend kept asking me to join her at the Celebrate Recovery training meetings. I, of course, said no, hence my cup. She wouldn't give up. I finally said yes, and I made it clear that I was not going to meet Bill that night. I walked into the training with the intention of signing up to volunteer to clean and not meet Bill and have, not, and not, and have anyone not notice me. But of course, my plans didn't work out. Bill made a comment. Everyone laughed. And I laughed when everyone else stopped laughing. And then to my surprise, I heard three words, loudly I might add, that would change my life. Myra, Myra, Myra. As soon as I heard my name, I knew I was stuck at Celebrate Recovery and could no longer hide. I was still scared of people, yet people were kind to me, and that surprised me. I was afraid to have any eye contact with people because I was too ashamed and carried so much guilt. Forgiveness night, which is just a few weeks away from tonight, was very powerful to me. I realized that I do matter in God's eyes. Principle two states, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. I was so broken and carried, and carried so much guilt and felt very, very tired and believed I didn't really matter. But when I wrote down all the names of the people who hurt me, including my own name, I nailed the card to the cross. I realized then that I do matter to him, and I didn't feel so tired from the guilt I carried. Matthew 11:28 says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I was ready to begin the recovering process with his help. I joined a step study, and my fears quickly returned. What if I stutter? What if they judge? What if they made fun of me? I did stutter here and there, but I wasn't judged and made fun of, or made fun of. I was encouraged instead. My confidence grew, and I looked forward to releasing all my junk. Then came the inventory. Was I nervous once again, but I was ready. Principle four states, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Trust, that's a big word for me. The beautiful woman I read my inventory to is someone I trust. She held my hand and said, I have your heart. James 5.16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I read her my inventory, and she showed me nothing but patience and love, and we prayed. Then we had pie and coffee. I felt so much better afterwards. Afterwards, I am feeling better. I'm smelling a lot more. I'm no longer afraid to take pictures. I am feeling better because I now know who I am in Christ. I also know that my past is exactly that, my past. Besides holding me, God has healed me and set me free from the things that were holding me captive. For example, cleaning as a child brought me so much pain. Now it brings me so much joy because now I lead the facilities team here for Encounter and actually love it. Sorry. I dribbled, sorry. Okay. I'll clean it up later. Okay. 
He also took one of my biggest struggles and fears, the fear of talking and meeting others because I stuttered. He made it into one of my greatest assets. I became a speech therapist. I now help other... I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> uh, I, I now help others use their words because I understood how it felt to not be able to use my words. I also continue to serve at Real Life Church Volunteer Lunch by serving food to volunteers with a smile. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> and without any fear of talking to others, I actually enjoy meeting others. I am still healing. I still have nightmares every once in a while, but now I have the tools that I've learned from Encounter, God, and my new family to help me. Sometimes feel fear will creep back in. But God did not give me the, a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. And I take that thought captive in Jesus' name. I now, I, I know I am protected by a loving God who has no intention of ever leaving my side. In my favorite song by Steve Camp, Love That Will Not Let Me Go, one line has always stood out to me. Now that I know there is a love that will not let me go, I can face tomorrow because you hold me forever. God has always been with me and has always been holding me. I am safe. Joshua 1.9, my favorite verse, uh, says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dis discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God has always been with me and has always loved me. I have learned these truths here at Encounter. I have learned who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit loves in, lives in me and also loves me. He comforts me, helps me in the ways I respond to hurts and cope with the trials of life. If you are new to Encounter, welcome. I remember stepping in the doors, not being able to look at anyone because of the fear, shame, guilt, and hurt that I carried. I didn't talk or smile at anyone. I felt like I was beyond help, but I kept coming back. I have met the most loving people that accept me where, um, and will be there even at two o'clock in the morning. I just keep coming back. <laughs> I know I'm happy and thankful I did. Thank you for letting me share. I'm going to ask Pastor Marty to come up for a second. Why? You don't call the shots here, girl. <laughs> because we love you. And one of the reasons why I've asked Pastor Marty to come up, not only pray for you, Myra, and, uh, but there may be someone watching that found their story in you. And uh, maybe some of you found your story in Myra's story. And you said, that's me. And I just want Pastor Marty to speak into that and just pray a prayer for everyone that just found their story in your story. We're so proud of you. You know, oftentimes uh, the things that go on in our life, we just see them as the things that go on in our life. But suddenly when you put them into perspective, as Myra's done tonight, we begin to see that's actually the story. That is actually the testimony. It's when we release that and go, well, God, you're going to have to make something of this mess called me, this, this divine mess. It's when we release that, all of a sudden go, oh, now watch how I'm going to work all of this together for good. 
Who, who could think that, you know, she's telling her story about stuttering. Well, that's what I'm going to use you for. I'm going to bring that to bring healing into other lives. And that's what God wants to do with all of us. But we just have to submit it to him and go, this pain I can't carry anymore. So could you do something with it? Oh, watch what I could do with that pain. I can bring healing from that pain. And so each of us become wounded healers. We walk around with a limp. We walk around with scars and, and scabs even. But God says, oh, that's what I'm going to use. That's exactly what I'm going to use. And tonight, Myra has taken it to another level saying, okay, I'm going to do this thing. Hand me a microphone. I don't want to talk in front of everybody. But she goes, no, I'm going to submit even that, that fear, that, that pain of getting up in front of everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can use that. And so there will be people here even tonight going, I'm going to step into the next thing for God. If, that, if God wants to use that, I will, I will give that over to him. So let's just pray tonight. Father, I am so thankful. So thankful. Papa, that you have been a father to the fatherless. That you have granted a peace where the world would say no peace can come from that. Oh, yeah. It just depends on where we're looking. And we've tried. We've all tried our own attempts at grabbing peace. Some of us try and drink peace. Some of us try to smoke peace. Some of us try to eat peace. Some of us try to spend peace. We have all kinds of things that we say, well, if I just do this, I'll get the... But Lord Myra came to you. Came to you and it started with a song. It started with a song. You calling her in. I pray tonight, even tonight, that as she stands up in courage, be strong and courageous. She quoted what you told Joshua, and then you told her tonight. Myra, I want you to stand up and be courageous. I am with you. I go before you. And I ask, Father God, that you would now open the door, this new page in, in Myra's life. This, the Bible says that there is a wide open door for a great ministry here. I pray that she would begin to see the open doors that as Revelation says, that when you open a door, nobody can close it. I pray that she would see the open doors of opportunity before her. I pray that she would begin to see, oh, that's how God wants to. God can use that too? Yes, that too. We are thankful for our sister who is a part of the family. I thank you that as she takes her place in our family, she plays her role as the wounded healer alongside many others. And I pray that each of us would continue to move in that, that healing place. This is, you know what, I, I'm, I'm gonna have my story and you're gonna have your story. Here's my story. And it would give us the, the gift of going second. She went first tonight, she shared, this is who I am. There would be some here and say, you know what, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take it, I, I, I'm gonna stop hiding. Stop hiding and, and going to the back of the room and making sure nobody notices. No, you know what? I'm going to go forward. Father, I thank you for this testimony. What a great word. And I ask a blessing, a further blessing on Myra tonight and the rest of our evening in Jesus' name. Let it be so. Let it be done. Amen. Amen.